Hi, my name is Adam Larter, and you're listening to an interview uh, with Sarah Shulman at Comedy Bloggerty. If you want to listen to the rest of this, here's a little bit about me. I look a little bit like Kenny Everett, and I also run London's best comedy club, Weirdos Comedy Club. Um, I'll be talking a bit about that, and I'll be saying lots of uh, ridiculous things, overclaiming stuff, and talking a bit like Jerry Springer. Uh, so if you're another comic, which you probably are if you're listening to this, there's some advice coming up. If you're a comedy fan, I'm sorry it's not as funny as you thought it might be. Uh, it's more about comedy than it is comedy, although some bits made Sarah laugh, so <laughs> hopefully you enjoy it. If you want to find out more about me, then you're wrong, but you can do by following me on Twitter at at Lati McParty, or I'm Weirdos Comedy Club on Facebook, uh, where you'll find lots of awful um awful updates mostly promotion but the occasional picture of a roadkill so yeah go follow us join join the conversation thank you so adam how did you get into comedy i'm probably one of those people that would claim that they've always been into comedy i used to watch a huge amount as a child which comes as no surprise to anyone the shift for me was when I went to university in Kingston, uh, up on Thames, not Jamaica, and there I went to a club weekly called, it's, which still runs, one of the best clubs in the country, it's called uh, Outside the Box Comedy. For the record, Sarah is laughing at my worst joke ever, which is Kingston upon Thames, not Jamaica, which I, I'm even not very proud of myself, but she's in a fit of laughter at that right now, trying not to be audible. Um, yeah, I went to Outside the Box Comedy Club and used to see lots of stand-ups who are now quite big names um, there. They had kind of Russell Kane and Ed Axel, who was really like an amazing spark for me to see someone do that on stage. And <laughs> you're still laughing at that there, which is incredible. <laughs> wow. You've not had much... I think to, to preface this, you have to bear in mind that Sarah doesn't really sleep uh so that probably is 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 kicking on a lot of things that that terrible pun i did there yeah outside the box comedy club in kingston i used to go to with um ali bryce who i now do a lot of work with and we both decided at the end of university that we should try and do comedy together and it took us a while until we both got jobs and we're living in the city and we thought we actually have the time to do it now should have done it as a student and I recommend everyone starts comedy as a student, but well, didn't waste three years. It's just a long run up to it, really. Yeah, seeing people like Ed Axel, Andrew Lawrence, and that trying out stuff outside the box was a massive kick to say, you can go out and do these things on stage. It's easy. Uh, saw some great names there. I saw Robin Williams there, which was amazing. Bill Bailey, Jimmy Carr, all of the big names. Um, yeah. Great times, great times in Kingston University. So what was your first gig like? I have good memories of my first gig, actually. It was with uh, Ali Bryce again. Me and him, I forced him to go up on stage. He he was terrified, but I was very excited for it. I'd done lots of other things like this before. Lots of kind of, I dabbled in a bit of performance poetry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I've, I've never been scared of going on stage. And we did this kind of double act that we hadn't really rehearsed, a sketch about, um, an educational sketch about asthma, which was absolutely ridiculous, but great fun. It was at the Cavendish Arms in Stockwell. 
yeah, it's the, that's the perfect place for anyone to do their first gig. It's a friendly crowd. It's a beautiful stage and just very receptive. And um, yeah, I kind of, I sometimes regret that I don't go back there as much as, as much as I do, to be honest. I mean, I know people get busy, but I would like to make more time for the Cavendish Arms, a wonderful venue that support a lot of new acts. And well, there are, there are a million open mics, but that one obviously is going to be very personal to me. And they've got a nice mirror at the back of the stage so you can see yourself performing, which is quite strange, especially if it's your first gig, to see how dreadful you are in the reflection. But um, yeah, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but actually it's about six years now, so which um, yeah is true for all the people who don't know I am, six years performing, but uh, which mentions most people listening. But yeah, it's good, good memories, and good memories of all those first few gigs, like really trying out stuff tried to never do for about a year I tried to not do the same material twice on stage and always just come up with something new which probably says something about the quality of what was being done then but um definitely looking back I think is the right thing to do a lot of people who when they start out have their five minutes and spend a year refining the five minutes and then realize that that five minutes is awful I think I would I would I would like more people to try the route of different five every time I think is very healthy I think it's very good for some of the new acts I see coming through now trying stuff out I like I like to see those who don't know what they're doing it's more interesting for me yeah so what kind of material did you do at that first gig um it was all kind of sketchy type stuff I mean I've I've never never I've always explored the same area but I've known that I've always wanted to do alternative or sketch or character or kind of one man plays I love and always return to that I find that entertaining just because because it, it, it's something that's more imaginative I've never been I've never talked about my life my family my work my girlfriend that's never entered on stage I mean or if it ever has it's completely fictitious I liked because I studied at university I studied creative writing and for me the are a lot of writers who are fantastic about describing their life. Take someone like Bukowski, he's fantastic because he's got an interesting life. He, you know, he's a this disgusting man who goes about doing these awful things. And you kind of want to read about that because it almost seems unbelievable. And that there's, whereas I, I would hate to hear about my life on stage. Not that I hate my life, but it just because that, it seems to be quite a nice, a nice safe life. You know, I get on well with my family. I get on well with my girlfriend. I get on well with my colleagues. There's, what do I have to explore there? I occasionally do some political stuff, but I've always done stuff that's more, and I know it sounds pretentious to say this, more imaginative, simply because it's kind of outside of the realms of what I do in my day-to-day -day life. Or just ridiculous, I think is a more appropriate word. I think that gives a bit more of a, I guess, to the tone of it. The kind of the kind of material where you can't qu quite work out if this is the worst thing I've seen or the best thing I've ever seen. That's what I kind of want to aim for, that fine line bef between dreadful and genius. Um, and <laughs> most people are still still not sure six years on, but it um, keeps me happy. So how often did you start gigging after your first gig? I gigged, and I, st I still gig. I don't do that many gigs. I try and gig once a week. I think that that's a healthy number. I would rather gig once a week and do some new material than gig five times a week and do the same material. 
there are a lot of comics that I really respect that believe that you should gig as much as possible. And I think that maybe further down the line, that's something I might aim to do. But for me, I'm quite interested in writing right now. So I think to just try out new ideas and to try out stuff is the most healthy thing. And also by my kind of one gig or two gig a week rule, I'm only performing at the clubs I want to perform at. So I don't message promoters um, as a promoter myself, I'm sick to death of the messages I get in. So I don't, I don't message promoters to ask for gigs. So then I only get the gigs from people who have seen my act and know what it's about. So I'm never forcing myself upon promoters who don't want that or don't expect what I'm going to come and do. And they're kind of like, you said you were brilliant. You gave me these quotes and then you turn up and you did that. You know, I don't want that situation to, I want someone who gets the act and then, you know, Normally, promoters as well as the MC, you want the MC to have seen you before. It's very strange when people introduce you and say, I've heard this guy is great. And like, how is that going to fill the audience with any kind of, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, if the MC thinks that maybe someone said they're good, then we're in for a ride, you know. So, uh, yeah, that was a long rambling way of saying I, I gig once a week. I've always give, gigged about that much. Um and try and normally return to the same clubs. There are a handful of clubs who tend to book me. Um, bless them. Thank you. Thank you to all of those people listening. Thank you to Laugh Out London. So as a promoter of live comedy gigs, what advice would you give to acts who are trying to get gigs? What's the best way for them to go about it when they write to a promoter, in your opinion? Be good. Um, if you're good... I, I try and watch a lot of comedy. Like last night, I went to see a gig that I wasn't performing in, which I think every promoter should do. Um, so I, I, I spot acts all of the time, and I purposely sometimes book myself in with gigs where I don't know the people there. I I don't have time to watch videos of, of acts, quite honestly, most of the time. And long messages which list quotes are going to put me off as well, you know, um, Personally, I think the best thing to do is is to gig and be good and don't force yourself amongst promoters because then that's probably going to put put them off from. I mean, this this is just my personal experience. I I'm, I book a very specific night once a month where I put on like one guest spot a month. So, and most of the acts I book are the same acts doing new material. So, I'm sure the case is very different for the promoters who bought book another 10 different acts per week you know they're probably always looking out for people so sorry actually that that might be do keep sending your quotes and videos I'm sure it's working out well for you but not for my club um but generally as a rule yeah be good be different don't be afraid to take risks because I sometimes I book acts who I've seen them do a spot and they might die they might be dreadful but it's it's often seeing what you think is good because I can see acts die another night and then I think actually at my night, they're going to be great. You know, they're going to go down really, you know, my audience who are there for a different type of comedy will probably love this type of thing. You know, I have seen some acts, acts absolutely die. And so sometimes they send you links to your website and say, why are you doing this? Your website is dreadful and it's got nothing but terrible videos on it. I, I, myself, I've got nothing but vi videos that are four years out of date on my YouTube. I'm dreadful at that I haven't got a show reel or a promotional video quotes aren't up to date none of that but I just get back gigs off the back of people seeing me at other gigs which I think is the best way around yeah or start your own gig if people aren't booking you and you're not quite sure if you're dreadful 
or if people just aren't seeing you, start your own gig. That's what I did. And I booked all of my friends and those friends went on to do good things and the night grew. I mean, that might not happen. You might be dreadful. You you have to realise that you might be dreadful. I, I doubted that for a few I still doubt that now. Um, actually, most of you are dreadful. I've seen a lot of open mic nights. Most of you are dreadful. But keep going. Keep going. Well done to you. And you were saying that at the moment you're focusing on writing. So how do you go about writing your material? Um, I give myself a lot of deadlines. I find the easiest way of writing. I mean, I've got a day job like most people. The evenings are golden. Um, I wrote a lot of stuff over the last year just going to... There are a lot of cafes in London that don't close until 11pm or midnight. So after work, this is a lovely little routine. Get yourself a shower and it feels like the morning again. Uh, grab your laptop and go to um, Pret in Charing Cross. Uh, that doesn't close until 11pm and just sit there until you've written something. Because you're going to want to go home and you're going to want to get some sleep or you're going to want to eat something. So if you lock yourself in a cafe, just, yeah, leaving the house is dreadful. Like the age that we live in with the internet is just so distracting. People can send you a stupid video on YouTube and then you watch that other one and then you watch another stupid video on YouTube and then it's midnight and you haven't written anything. So leave the house is one good thing. For stand-up, I tend to either make a prop or make a stupid song and kind of work backwards from that. Like, that sounds awful and that probably explains some of the material I've done. But uh, if you build yourself something and say, I want to come on stage with this or you buy a costume or something like this, obviously this is not appropriate to normal stand-up or maybe it is. But then then work backwards from that. that that's quite fun. You, uh, you've seen me do my strange Charlie Brown routine that started off from deciding I wanted a paper mache Charlie Brown and Snoopy and um and then the, the Snoopy was built out of stuff I found in my recycling one of those things was a a tub that had like washing up tablets in it and I realized that Snoopy's head could open what fun could be what fun thing could come out of Snoopy's head a kite I know they're now having a kite race that's kind of the logic of just just make yourself something awful and then you have to try and then explain it backwards that's a fun way of doing things. Or just doing whatever you can do with the budget. A lot of my stuff kind of comes from just not having the money to do it properly. And then that ends up funny. Um, again, just making things out of paper mache just look ridiculous. And, well, some people would mistake that as just um, unprofessional. But, yeah, for some people, funny. For me, funny. Uh, yeah, if you see people like Frank Sidebottom, the way he used to make stuff out of paper mache, just the kind of visual aesthetic there is just awesome and I kind of try and mirror that and Tim and Eric as well is all about like a lack of budget and that's kind of where their humor comes from probably me lack of time lack of budget it's a good place to start writing and you've performed at Edinburgh for several years most recently you performed a show with Ali Bryce who you started out in comedy with which was called Plumpy Nut which mm -hmm. you performed at Edinburgh and the year before you performed Happy New Year mm -hmm. so what's been your experience of the Edinburgh Festival so far? I've always enjoyed the Edinburgh Festival I suppose it's more suited to acts who want to put a show together I, I i know a lot of people who moan about it audience numbers response that they get but i think that i can imagine it is more difficult for straight stand-up because to start and to get rolling there sure you're fine if you're in a wonderful venue or something like that but yeah lucky for me i've always wanted to perform an hour i've always wanted the idea to kind of be expanded um and I've I've kind of always enjoyed it 
really off the back of that this i yeah this year was my fourth year um and i was really happy to do a show not only with you know one of my best friends ali and i really enjoyed that whole run and we got some really nice response and also to do uh, the show with the venue with bob slayer who runs the heroes venues i think I've, I'm really happy to be working with Bob. He's got a really nice vision of how Edinburgh should be. Um, and that kind of reflects on some of the acts that he's brought into the mix. Some really interesting, a mix of kind of um, more established acts like Phil Kay and Lewis Schaefer and Tom Bins, who, you know, are still doing interesting things there, as well as some of the more up, up and coming acts or lesser known acts like myself and Ali and uh, Carl and all of the others that he brings into the mix there. Oh yeah, so I've I've always enjoyed Edinburgh, you know, and it's great to s- stay with friends and to just go out and see lots of stuff. There's so many people that um, I wouldn't normally get to see. I try and see stuff that is outside of London. Like there's a, a great gang of comics from up north who I've met and seen through Edinburgh who I think are fantastic and I'd love to get down to London more. We did um, this year a special northern special with some of these acts and it was a real pleasure to have them down um people like barnaby j thompson and lulo and all of his friends there and liberty hodes who now lives in london all, all of that gang you know i could go on for ages naming them as well as some of the, like the bigger acts who i'd never seen in london and like now quite established but you definitely see up in edinburgh like the first time i saw dr brown was in edinburgh uh, people like claudia doherty I think are great. All all of those, you know, I just spend so much time watching stuff. Sam Simmons, Paul Foot, I try and see their shows every year. I think that they're great. And yeah, I mean, Edinburgh is that. You can go and see theatre as well. Um, <laughs> theatre scares me, but I still try and see one or two shows each year, kind of make myself see them just to get a different experience there. And um, yeah, or just something dreadful as well. Always go and see something dreadful, absolutely dreadful. One of the things that people say that can be difficult about Edinburgh is that if you're not in a venue where they have press and box office and people to help manage your show, if you're on the free fringe, you're doing it all on your own. So what advice would you give to acts who are taking a show up to Edinburgh and performing it on the free fringe? I'd say that most of that is the the fun of the show for me. I mean, if you see your show as just that one hour, you're looking at it in a very narrow point of view you can make the marketing fun you can make the i always i love flyering just really stupid stuff that you can do flyering like try try mime flyering i know that sounds really annoying and you're probably pitching a really drama school way of doing that but just just see how many people you can get in like not talking at all on the royal mile and just i mean bob slayer again is the the absolute king of this he got people into his show the other year just by going and and hanging around in the pub and like just talking to everyone individually and then you get a massive crowd you can have fun with it and like you know my shows are always ridiculous so i flyer ridiculously you know i get these awful like they look like they've been designed by a four-year-old kind of posters and they look dreadful and unprofessional and you know by having that the right people will come to the show because they know it's got this kind of DIY, lack of professional feel. And have fun with the venue as well. The 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 venue I had in the first year when I did a show with Ali and um, Mark Stevenson, the three of us were in a very small venue called the Lizard Lounge. And I think that's great for people who are going up to do their first year to have these kind of smaller venues. And I, I really respect um, the Free Fringe, the Free Festival and Heroes and now whatever the new splinter movement is um 
first of all, but well done to all of them um, for, you know, giving people these opportunities. And yeah, someone is going to end up in a cupboard and that's probably going to be your first year or even your second year. But make the most of it. You know, it's about your show and anyone who walks into that knows where they are. And they know what you're dealing with. Just do the best show. I saw one of my favorite acts uh, this year's Fringe was a guy called Neil Potenza. I've forgotten his real name, but that was that's the character he does is Neil Potenza. And he was in this venue in the Dram House and it had... Uh, kind of background noise coming from one of the other venues he was projecting onto a wall that had windows so he had to like tape over it with some a3 sheets of paper and it made it so much fun and everyone was with him and he had the bar staff on board because the bar was in the venue and they were messing around and replacing his water with vodka so when he'd go to drink it and the atmosphere was so much fun because of all of these different bits playing off of each other he had definitely got into the spirit of that he was at a free fringe uh, venue i believe and yeah you can you can you can think of it as a hindrance or you can think of it as a massive bonus it's 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 the fringe you know it's the unofficial festival it's about exploring stuff it's about art you're not at the Apollo. I think it's don't don't expect that you you haven't earned it. No one has. Even the people in the paid venues haven't earned it. That's why they have to cough up so much, um, because we're not superstars. We're clowns. So that's that's how I feel anyway. Well, your day job is in advertising. Do you feel that working in that environment has had a big impact on your comedy, both writing and also the way that you promote it? In promotion, yes, definitely. I mean, also in the way that I run Weirdos. It wasn't to start with. I think I wanted to go almost the opposite and deliberately went about <laughs> kind of almost bad promotion. And still some of the... Like, we don't have a mailing list. We've been going like three years now as a gig and we don't have a mailing list. And I, I strongly believe in not having a mailing list. I believe more in... if In London, especially, you should find your audience and you should let people come to your gig rather than necessarily forcing it upon people sure anyone in our facebook group they get attacked with regular messages all of the time um but i think that the kind of the project management and kind of like being able to uh manage has certainly come in handy with the group the way that we now are starting to do more regular rehearsals the way that we kind of i just yeah manage various contacts comedians are the most unorganized people you have to text them several times to turn up for a rehearsal several times that they've got to turn up for the gig and just organizing all of that combined with you know the show that we're working on this year has so many props and sound cues and yeah that that i, f I find quite fun and um i've been told by people that uh I'm more organized than some of the other people they encounter in comedy, though I never give that impression on stage. Like, I like to look absolutely manic, but behind it all, there's a lot of thought gone into it. Even my solo shows, which look ridiculous, like I've planned every sound cue and I've planned everything that's going to fall apart, every prop that's going to break has been considered. Like, I, I buy the cheapest stuff so that it will I know that I'm going to have talc on the floor so I know I'm going to fall over I know I'm going to hurt myself I, I do genuinely hurt myself but I know it's going to happen and all of these I know that I'm probably going to piss off someone in the audience and kind of I've got some ideas about what I might do with them and yeah so I suppose my job does come in handy 
you would expect to have bigger crowds for some of the stuff I do because of that. But I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fan of advertising. It's just a job I fell into. So I use, I use that here and there, I suppose. I, I love my job. I don't love the industry. <laughs> As founder of Weirdos Comedy, what made you want to start Weirdos? It was just an open mic. It was, there was, so three years ago, I was doing a lot of open mics and you get a very strange feeling that you are the odd one on the bill and you get announced, if you're doing a straight stand-up show, you're the odd one on the bill, they say, oh, here comes the next act, he's a bit different, he's a bit weird, you know, watch out for him and you're already seen through those eyes, whereas the thought was, and it's taken a long time to kind of realise this, that if we get together as a group and we're in, you you bill it as something where experimentation is allowed, then you have broader boundaries. You can mess around with stuff more. The difficult line to cross there is that if you've got these, this night that's that's where every act is alternative, it can be quite grinding if everyone wants to do kind of low low key anti-comedy and that's quite a difficult thing to watch so I think it took us a while to find kind of like the rhythm of that and I think we've got there now where actually we're all working as a group and kind of the inventiveness feels very refreshing and it, it kind of wasn't at the beginning I suppose but yeah I mean it just started for an open mic for those that still mostly the same group of those about 10 of us so people like Pat Cahill, Mark Stevenson, obviously Ali, Carl, Matthew, we all wanted somewhere to just try out stuff and kind of people have been added along along, along the years, you know, um, Pat brought in John, Pat and John then bring in Joe Davis and Jos Norris and Holly Byrne found herself very comfortable in our group and kind of like, and then I brought in Beth later down the line and full kind of added and there are still new people that I'm going like, yeah, yeah, they're great. I think they'll work with the group, but it's just been a group of friends it started with very yeah, selfish intentions to give us somewhere to try out. But now I think we realize that actually there's something really positive that we can do as a group. Group performances and collaboration is something that I find most interesting now. And kind of mixing everyone up, getting people doing sketches with other people they wouldn't necessarily do. You know, it's it's not something original. There have been a million groups that have come before and done stuff like this. And there are still loads out there now, you know, um, think about like all the Ealing live stuff which great comedy came out of that and um obviously Simon Munnery and Stuart Lee and all of that gang there clubs the roofer or whatever however you pronounce that they've they've done this thing before and people always will want somewhere to mess around um and I suppose this was just our, our class really yeah the, the class of 2010 yeah it still continues to go <laughs> yeah and just, just I think everyone wanted it, but um, I was the only one who could be bothered to do all the admin, I suppose. What sort of reaction did you get when you first started performing with the group? Um, it's always got the right reaction. I mean, people sometimes get confused about the audience reaction. I think that they've, people come and see a night called Weirdos Comedy, but they maybe, what do they expect? Do they expect anti-comedy? Do they expect sketch comedy? Or do they just expect stand-up, but it might be a bit quirky? And, you know, there are all those different things that people will often sometimes come just because it was free. But we've been trying stuff out. And I genuinely acknowledge that a lot of it at the time, not now, but a lot of it that's gone over those last few years has been quite bad. And I think people have responded to it in the right way. But also people are willing to see 
that happen they're willing to see you know we, we're very open and say look, look we are showing you ideas here some of them might be dreadful and people go along with that I think it's really really annoying sometimes if you're trying out something and you realize halfway through that it's dreadful but then the audience are loving it um but yeah we've developed as performers now and we've got a really loyal group of fans that come back to almost every weirdos night and they're fantastic and now that we kind of are rewarding them with some fantastic well the last few shows that we've been done I've just been so proud of um so I think yeah it's it's we've always got the the right reaction that's an easy way to summarize when it's been bad people don't laugh when it's good people do we've had walkouts now we don't yeah it's nice evolution yeah getting strong and hopefully you know it still won't be easy for us I hope I hope that people we want to get I want to get some testing audiences in some hecklers I don't know whatever happened to hecklers but you never get them anymore I want some. If any, if you want to heckle, please come along to Weirdos Comedy Club. You are more than welcome. I will not kick you out. <laughs> we might completely humiliate you, but we will not kick you out. I don't know what happened to people kicking out hecklers. You can talk with them. It's a dialogue with the audience. Says the man who's been talking straight into a microphone for the last who knows how long. Yeah. Well, in in talking about the last few gigs that Weirdos have done and saying how proud you are of them, mm. and also in terms of Weirdos as a different kind of gig is there something that you hope to achieve with each of the weirdos gigs that you put on i just like to have a feeling that we can always count on each other and it's really nice now that the gang all do different things with each other you know it's nice to see like um carl at the moment is doing a lot of stuff with like jos norris and they kind of seem to found a nice little kind of double act there it's reminded me that i enjoy working a lot with ali and me and him do a lot together and just there's a really creative team of so many different people and, and even just listing some people back then, there's millions of people you, I could stop and talk to about for our ages, you know, Darren Maskell, Gareth, Gareth Moranan, each have such individual and different acts that they're, they're fan, fantastic, you know, and people that we've had on like Oyster Rise are now doing really well and I'm really glad to see that they are doing well and that kind of whole invisible dot group has kind of grown out of nowhere and that there's just some... I'd, I'd, really naive and stupid for me to say that, you know, five years ago there wasn't some interesting stuff, but it does feel like there is, or at least a more visible movement now, you know, with, like, the guys at ACMS as well, I really respect what they're all doing, and they've got an interesting thing going on, and kind of like a lot of our guys play their night, and a lot of their, their guys play our night, yeah, and between us, Invisible Dot and Weirdos, and then all the stuff that Dean's Way's doing, it kind of shambles and sad wave there there's some interesting things afoot so um i can't remember what the original question was what you hope to achieve what i hope to achieve just keep going just keep trying stuff out you know something someone will create a sitcom or someone will do an amazing edinburgh show like you know john won the best newcomer this year we didn't see that coming well kind of did a bit nearer the time but you know last year we had him just messing around as peter pan and like this now this year he's you know a jobbing comic and well done to him so just just more of that yeah if we can all just push ourselves and work together uh that'd be great yeah well speaking about john kearns playing peter pan last year in hook you've got the next weirdos production at christmas coming up which is the colonel which you're co-writing and co-directing with matthew Hyten. so what can audiences expect from that uh, well, all of the lines that I've written are really good. 
but Matthew's got some great stuff in there too. He believes in this thing called structure, uh, which is where like the characters develop and then there appears to be this kind of beginning, middle, end. So there's a bit of that going on. And there's also the stuff that I've written, which makes no sense whatsoever. And there are the bits that we've written together, which kind of are a bit of both. Um, but overall, it's a story about a young man who grows up in Kentucky. Uh, he has a secret, a, a dark secret, which he keeps with him. He goes off to war. And, um, well, it, I think some people have been describing it as finger-licking epic. So that's what you can look forward to. It's it's a war story. We've got both of the wars there, the big double. And, you know, there's song, dance. There's lots of surprises. And, yeah, it's a big Christmassy feel as well. We've been calling it kind of like an alternative to pantomime or an alternative pantomime. There's no, it's not a pantomime story, but there's that same feeling that you can boo, you can hiss, you can cheer, you can join in. Don't go on stage, but join in. Uh, and it's it would be shambolic and fun. We've made props at home, ridiculous costumes, some absolutely incredible accents. Considering everyone's got American accents, you wouldn't believe the variety of interpretations of a Kentucky accent that you could get with one group of people. Gareth Morinan, I must say, between Gareth Morinan and Tom Meek, there are two interpretations of the Kentucky accent I could never believe were possible. Just, I still don't know what quite, some kind of Indian Welsh accent that they've ended up with between them, but it, they say it's Kentucky. It's beautiful. It's, it's worth worth paying the money for alone. I mean, the money goes to charity, but just go for Gareth Morinan and Tom Meek's accents. I don't know, you know, Gareth Morinan has done professional acting, but that accent is still beautiful. And since you're co-directing and co-writing that, and also, of course, performing stand-up, how have you found that transition of performing in lots of different pursuits and areas within the industry? It all comes together. Like, I, I think, if, I find it really strange that someone would want to do just stand-up or just clowning or just write for a sitcom. I think, for me, I've always just wanted to do comedy. And I think that our group are very much the same. You know, I enjoy working with Matthew because he doesn't see an idea as this is just a play or this is just a radio idea or this is just a TV idea. It's like, what are the stories? What are the characters? What can we do with that? And then it kind of goes from there. And I think you, you're doing some, you can, I do some stand-up gigs occasionally and you see something and you're like, oh, I tried that out and that really worked, but it's not going to work again for that. I'm going to borrow that for the script or, you know, it all goes together. It's all about making people laugh and you can definitely learn from different things and I want to try out different stuff I've never done any kind of like radio stuff so you know it'd be great to try that and see how that works and see how that fails and yeah all of the different pursuits I think are, are quite fun you know Matt and the guy and Stu Laws and the guys make some fantastic videos with like uh, Turtle Canyon and I think that's really healthy and you can see that that kind of comes into Matt's stand-up and, and stuff and you can see like the way he tells a story is because he's really influenced by like film and comics and stuff like that, whereas I listen to too much music and that kind of bleeds into my stand-up, the stupid ideas and from stuff I get from bands and, you know, I, I want to do something really aggressive because I've been listening to too much punk or, you know, I want to do something that's kind of a bit more emotional or something like that. And I think trying out... Ev I mean, with Weirdos at the moment, we brought in some kind of people from music backgrounds as well and some people from art backgrounds to, to join our group to add a very different vibe to it. And that's really refreshing, you know, like 
people people from the music uh, side of things or people from the art side of things want to work with comedy. I think like comedy's always gone like, oh, why don't the arts industry accept us? You know, we're an art too, but we're going to do our own thing. Well, like involve them, you know, and I don't mean just like a variety night where you book, oh, I'm going to book one band, one comic, one band, one comic you know, and someone who juggles. That's not variety. That's just putting things one on after each other. Work together. See how someone who does music can add to a comedy gig. That's, yeah. I, and I think that maybe there has been a vibe in that a bit more in, like, America and some of the stuff that they do. I don't know. People say, well, why is American stuff more interesting and experimental and why is their TV come out a bit better because they have people from a theatre background approaching, you know, comedy. Like one of my favourite sitcoms, Bored to Death, I think is great. But that's, you know, the people from that aren't from a stand-up background. You know, Jonathan Ames is a novelist. And you get Jason Schwartzman, who's like a Hollywood actor. Zach Galifianakis and Ted Danson are comics. But the rest of them aren't. And that's why it's got this really interesting vibe. And you can see, like, great stuff comes from that, you know. Don't be afraid to reach out to theatre people, proper script writers, you know. Just someone who's never done comedy before, they're going to throw an interesting perspective into it. You know, I mean, a lot of people said last year one of their favourite people in Hook was Tom Meek, who promotes stuff more than he does go on stage. He's been on stage a few times, but we put him front and centre, and he was fantastic. And he just brought this really authentic, you know, edge to it. And here's a man like... And you see, like, he really went for it. And everyone kind of loved that and just related to him straight away. And he's got this ridiculous accent and he's wearing this dress that and wig that don't fit him at all. And he's still got his stubble and glasses and sensible work shoes. It's just all brilliant. And you can't get that from... You get a bunch of stand-ups around the table. They're going to write a stand-up script. You get two people from music, two people from comedy and two people from art. They're going to create something different. That's just gonna happen yeah all except for poets you're not welcome yeah sorry poets and magicians everyone else is interesting but you guys can do your thing i'm sure it's great but it's not for me sorry really i really respect you but sorry except for rob orton he's really good i will say that well speaking about lots of different types of gigs there's been a lot of discussion and debate recently about free gigs so although the kernel which is coming up there is an entry price and all the money for that is going to charity the weirdos gigs where you try things out are often free so what would you say to promoters that question free gigs i'll say you're idiots um there's there's no way that you can question free gigs at all i've always said that in london you're not competing comedy with comedy people don't decide i'm going to a comedy night tonight they say i want something to do and they check what's on there in their local area you know there's there's a variety of things that are going to affect what they're going to do maybe you know they want to go to something nearby but maybe if it's good enough they're going to spend some money and i am someone in my 20s i go and see as much stuff as i do promote you know so i'm willing to fork out you know, 15 quid to go see Dr. Brown at Soho Theatre because I think it's going to be a great show. As, just as much as I might decide to go and watch a, a free show, you know, tonight. And I know that it's going to be different. What what idiot couldn't see that? I think that there's no such thing as free gigs and pay gigs. There's good gigs and bad gigs. If your gig is great and it costs 7 quid, it costs 10 quid, it costs 15, then people are going to return. And that's the same with free gigs 
as well. You know, we we get people only return if they like it. They don't go like, oh, that was a dreadful night. Yeah, but it's free. Let's go back next week. Who's ever thought like that? You know, look at Angel Comedy. Their success has come down to building a regular audience. People come back, not because it's free, because they could pick a million different nights. They come back because it's got good lineups that are different every week. It's got great MCs. It's in a good location, in a good pub. So people are going to come back to that because they've enjoyed the night and they know that it's going to be different the next week. They probably don't come back once a week. And I think that there's this weird expectation that maybe was the same 10 years ago where there was one pub per tube area where people would keep going back to that regular pub. Like in Kingston, uh, I went back to outside the Box Comedy Club because it was local to me, but also the acts were different every week. And Ali and I used to go to that every week and you're laughing again because you're thinking about my Kingston pun from earlier. So yeah, people will return to comedy clubs and I think that, yeah, it's just a case of good promotion versus bad promotion. And most of the good clubs seem to get audience in and most of the less good clubs <laughs> don't seem to get people in. And that's really hard for people to hear. And to those who question their career, I've always said this as well, and this is the bit that I lose a lot of friends in, I feel less worried because I have a day job. And I think that maybe 10 years ago, people would say that, you know, I need these gigs and I need these gigs for my money and I can't focus on doing free comedy. Well, people who are in bands don't expect that. People who are just starting, you know, a garage band don't expect money straight away. They have a day job, of course. You're either fantastic and people want to give you lots of money and you're being booked for gigs all the time, or maybe you're not as good and you're not making money from it and you've got to work down McDonald's. That's that's the facts of life. That's how a free market economy works. <laughs> Things are priced differently and there are different expectations for it. I, don't, I, I can't begin to understand what the question is there. Are you also not competing with free cinema? Are you also not competing with a walk in the park? Are you also not competing with TV, which is free you're competing with iplayer you know you're com you're completing competing with people going on a date <laughs> you know yeah make your comedy club better that's my only solution i suppose if you're looking for advice feel free to book me as well i, I bring in a crowd there you go i'm available a lot of 2014 yeah and you were saying earlier that you feel that there's been a more visible movement with alternative comedy and allowing acts who are different to have stage time. So do you think that the live comedy scene is moving in a specific direction? No, I think I, I think to, to phrase this correctly, because people will pull me up on this, there's obviously been alternative comedy in whatever way you want to call it, and where surreal, alternative, sketch, anything like that. There's been that since the 80s, and probably before that, if you want to go back to Cabaret, and even before that, if you want to look at kind of like the weird performance artists that you get in the 1920s in Italy, it's been something that's going on forever. What it feels like at the moment is that it, it, those groups seem to be better organized. So there is a more visible, and yet the word is visible, with people like ACMS and the Invisible Dot, we've maybe got better at promoting ourselves and kind of joining together, which is really nice. And there are, there are better places to go as well. You know, the Soho Theatre... I don't really know those guys well, so I don't really need to give them a big shout out. But their 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 lineups are fantastic, and people know that they can go and watch a good show there. And you know, 
And this might go back to the debate as to, you know, why some of the traditional clubs aren't doing as well, because people can be guaranteed a fantastic show at somewhere like the Soho Theatre on a regular basis. And there there are some great as well, you know, mixed bill comedy nights for alternative clubs as well. You know, I love uh, Paul, the other one in South London, Martin Soane's night, I think is great. I recommend everyone go to that. You get get there a great mix of some of kind of like the uh, more established alternative acts from like the 80s, 90s, uh, performing with new up and coming like alternative acts. Like I think that's a really healthy thing to see there. And I think it's great. And Martin and Vivian are two of the nicest people in comedy. Well, Martin, Martin pretty much started alternative comedy. So, well, well, thanks. Thanks, Martin. That's really appreciated. Uh, you're a good guy. And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians? Yeah, just um, go out there, just fail a bit. Um, be dreadful. Try try all the ideas. If you're worried that, oh, this might not work, maybe I need to do a joke. No, try the thing that might not work because that's more the interesting thing. You know, like someone like Ben Target's great because he tries, he always aims for the more interesting over the necessarily funny and that will end up funny. He's just himself, you know, the voice and the stuff that he does on stage comes from himself and, you know, John as well like even for alternative comedy you don't have to dress up strange be yourself and have more confident in the ideas you're having and that's probably going to be more entertaining than doing something that you think that people want to hear they they don't don't patronize the audience they're not idiots even the ones that look like idiots aren't idiots they know what you're doing they're there with you it's a dialogue so if you're going to take a risk they understand that you're taking a risk. They don't hate you for it. What they hate you for is patronising them and giving them ideas that they you think they want to hear. Sure, a lot of audiences do, but you know that feeling when you come out and a night. Sometimes you can be laughing the whole time, but you come out feeling a bit empty. You haven't seen anything interesting. It's like going to watch Gravity at the cinema. You're like, oh, I kind of get why it was good, but I didn't. En- I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, things are flying at me, but isn't Sandra Bullock an awful actress? You know, that kind of feeling there. And that's what my advice is. Just all of the ideas in your scrapbook, which you're scared of saying up on stage, don't say, I don't think you're going to like this. Deliver it as if they will like it. That's more interesting. Sick of people saying like, oh, you you hated that one, or oh, this is awful, or oops, sorry, just new material. Have more faith in your awful ideas. They're probably better than you give them credit for. And you were saying earlier that everyone should try comedy as a student. Why do you think that? Uh, okay, everyone who wants to try comedy eventually should try it while they are a student. Um, obviously, there's probably too many people doing comedy as it is. Not every student should. But I was just, I looked back and I thought like being a student is a great time. You've got time to do writing. You've got, you know, friends who go and support and watch you. And you're at a time where, you know, you haven't got a full-time job. Well, for the case of most students, haven't got a full-time job to die you down. So go out there while you've got nothing to lose. And then when you go out into the real world and get a day job, you've already had three years of experience. And I did, maybe it felt more appropriate for me who was studying creative writing at the time. And I was submitting a lot of stuff. And it was all kind of humorous, even the stuff that wasn't meant to be. And I was like, why did I not look back and think you want to do comedy? Why did I not slap myself in the face and say, just try this out on a stage? Because 
you will only learn by putting it out there. There's probably a million great, all the best comics are people who have probably never shared it. You know that? You n- never stop and think like, you, you stop and watch a night of like awful comedy and you think, I bet there are a million people out there who are just too shy. And like, if some of those shy people could be forced into sharing their stuff, you look at, rewatch some of Mitch Hedberg's stuff. There's a guy who doesn't want to be on stage, but some of his ideas are great. You know that? You get that feeling like they're only forced to do it because you think that they're, they've, they've got more confidence in their writing than themselves. I'd like to see more of that stuff. Not, not idiots like me who just want <laughs> starved for attention. Yeah. So, yeah, students, give it a go if you want to give it a go. You might not at the end of the three years, but you've come out with a degree. So who cares? Well done. Yeah. And do you have any general tips or advice for students? Have fun. I mean, I used my degree to get me a job when I came out of university, but I've never really used it since, to be perfectly honest. I think have fun. You are now seen by the world as an adult. So you can try some of the stuff that you thought you couldn't do. You know, you can go up on a stage in especially in London, you know, the the world is your oyster. Don't feel like you're limited to your dorms, you know. I'm not necessarily saying go travel in Thailand, you know, we can all do that. But um, just go for it, you know, if you want to start a business, if you want to start a blog, if you want to write a book, it's just such a great time to have all that time and kind of like that feeling that you haven't tried everything yet. As soon as you're in a day job, you feel like you're into a, a rhythm. You can, you'll never get that opportunity to be in a weird day where sometimes you have four weeks off in a row. That's just a great use. That's just great time to just try stuff, you know, paint a painting or write a book. It's just such a great opportunity for that. Not everyone's creative, but if you don't want to do that, yeah, start a business or volunteer or yeah. I don't know. I spent too much time listening to punk in my room, uh, university, which I enjoyed, but, I should have been out there, I don't know, running or something. <laughs> Who knows what. So I suppose what I'm saying is is that if you're a student, you've got all of the time in the world and you should be going out there and doing all of those fun things. And I know that sounds like a cliched punk song, but yeah, here is your opportunity. Go for it. And you could be me. Well done, you. <laughs>